Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with the man himself, attorney Bill Alexander. Bill, we've made it to spring. How are you doing? Ah, Jason, I am doing fine and I hope you are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing great. Well, you know, there are a number of things to talk about today, but, you know, obviously being the first week of spring, I guess it's not an atypical first week of spring. You know, early in the week we had some freezing weather, you know, which you would hope uh, would not be uh, present uh, any any longer, uh, but of course uh, it, we may have uh, another few days of, of freezing before uh, we're actually into what most of us would call true spring. But uh, as um, uh, you know, the first day of spring is normally uh, when we have the uh, equinox, and you have. 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of nighttime. Um, so for those who, who wouldn't know that already. So that's, that's normally what, when the first day of spring uh, is called by folks who know better than we do. Uh, and, uh, but, the, you know, the, the real significance of this time of year is that uh, the pine pollen is almost over. I can't say it is because uh, my car is still begging me to be washed and our porch has pollen all over the, I mean, we did take the pads in, uh, thank the Lord, but uh, the, you know, there's pr- a pretty significant cleanup effort that's going to be required um, uh, out there. And I know that uh, everyone else who lives in this area is in, uh, will be in that mode. So, there is a reason for what uh, uh, has been called uh, spring cleaning. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and then of course we have to do the spring cleaning before we, we we can really move on to being able to do the things we want to do this spring and summer. So that's uh, you know it's all that it's the rite of passage, if you will. It's the price we pay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, uh, moving on from that, and of course, part of spring cleaning may very well be, okay, what have we left undone that needs to be done? And for a lot of folks, uh, you know, if you haven't done it already, if you didn't learn your lesson earlier, um, uh, there are an awful lot of folks that should come see us and get their estate planning done, uh, you know, because the fact is, is that all of us, rich, poor, uh, extraordinarily wealthy, uh, no matter what age we are, as long as we're adults, uh, we truly should have at least some, if not all, of our planning documents. And for us, that includes six documents. Uh, the, and the, we're talking basic documents here. I'm not talking about trust, but, you know, all of us, uh, except for those who have very little to nothing, should have a will. So does an 18-year-old need a will? No, not really. <laughs> but but uh, does an 18-year-old need a health care power of attorney? Yes, because that's when there's still children 
I mean, I shouldn't say that, but they don't think of themselves that way. But uh, as parents, we certainly think of them that way. Uh, and quite frankly, once a child turns 18, we no longer have uh, direct authority to make health care decisions for them. They're, they're adults under the law. And oftentimes, it, 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 there are times when, it, you know, those children uh, need a health care agent. And there are actually three health care documents that are important. The most important one is appointing your agent. Who's that going to be? Well, for most 18-year-olds, it would be one or both of their parents. Um, uh, and so there's a health care power of attorney, an advanced directive for natural death, and even an 18-year-old should have those. Those very narrowly construed, rarely used, but there are times uh, when an advanced directive becomes very important, when someone is in a totally hopeless medical condition. Uh, and lastly, uh, required by federal law, is a medical release for HIPAA compliance, and uh, that that is required. So all three of those documents are important for, e for even the young people once they turn uh, uh, 18. Uh, now, you know, obviously people who are a little bit older and they finally get married and they start having children, or actually when, when folks get married, you know, should they have documents? Of course they should, because at that point they've committed to each other and they need to be able to help each other uh, with legal documents. Uh, if, uh, I mean, hopefully, you know, they, that you hope they're never needed. But the fact is there are circumstances that surprise us where having a general durable power of attorney and having a health care power of attorney and those extra documents uh, can be huge, uh, or just having a digital release, which is a document a lot of folks don't have, um, but uh, that document can be really important, particularly if uh, you are a couple where you help each other by going online with each other's usernames and passwords for whatever reason, whether it's using a, an app or using, you know, uh, moving money uh, in your uh, bank accounts or investment accounts or the like. So, uh, and then, of course, uh, as we, when we have children, then do we, do we need a trust at that point for young or minor children? Uh, of course we should have at least a will with a trust in it for our children. Uh, and uh, for those uh, who have a, more property, you know, something that would, uh, where a, a revocable trust plan where would be uh, an important addition as well. And that, and of course, you have to know who you're going to appoint as a guardian and who's going to be the trustee for your children, who's going to take care of your children? Because that's something as parents, we should, uh, we, and of course, we sure hope that that trust is never utilized because you want to see your children grow up and, and uh, have a wonderful life. Uh, and then as we get uh, older and accumulate assets, then sometimes a different kind of plan is appropriate. And as we get into our senior years, 
oftentimes we want to have much better planning so that we can leave our property to our family uh, in the way that is appropriate, you know, and that might be legacy planning or it might be simple planning. It just depends on the circumstances. But, you know, obviously uh, planning, you know, I talk about the fact that we have lifetime changes and everybody's in a different place, if you will. Uh, but reviewing what you've done in the past is something that uh, is absolutely essential to good planning. Uh, and that not only includes, as we've talked about, not only includes your documents that a lawyer can help you with, uh, but it also includes your financial planning and particularly as I've emphasized over the last few weeks, your beneficiary designations that so many people use and oftentimes don't review when they really need to. And uh, I've tried to stress how a beneficiary designation can absolutely ruin a good uh, legal estate plan, (laughs) just depending on the circumstances. So a lot of folks just don't uh, realize that a beneficiary designation will always take precedence over any trust or will, um, last will and testament, that you might have. So, you know, the fact is, is that there's a lot that that goes into it, and people uh, need to plan. There are a lot of folks who never plan, uh, but those are the ones uh, who uh, end up in significant trouble uh, later on. Uh, You know, people are optimists. It's like, oh, I've got plenty of time to do anything we need to do. Uh, And it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, there are times when people come in, a married couple, and they're in their 80s, and they've never done any planning ever. Uh, And it's just, I just shake my head, but I'm happy to help them because they finally reached the time when they realized that they have to get something done. But fact is, is that we all need plans, and some plans can be real simple that are done early on, but uh, as we uh, get a little older, our plans should reflect some a little more sophistication to them. <laughs> well, Bill, I want to get into a discussion on that with you because there's, uh, as you said, there's a lot that goes into that, and, you know, but it's, it's interesting because we all know that we need some sort of planning done, whether it's a, a will or a trust, but it, it would be good to know, you know, which situation requires one and which doesn't. So we're going to get into that. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, head on over to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. From there, you can find information about Bill and his team. You can also schedule an appointment You can view information about Bill's free webinars as well. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance that deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, and financial assistance that may be available to you when it comes to the long-term care costs associated with uh, any type of long-term care, but it's so expensive and having any sort of assistance can be of great benefit to you. Go to WGALaw.com if you want to attend Bill's free webinar. Bill also has a webinar dedicated to asset protection and trust planning. Learn more at WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button at the top of the page. It's free to register, free to attend, 
The next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, April 12th. Be sure to sign up before then, wgalaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Head on over to WGALaw.com if you want to register for Bill's free webinars happening on Wednesday, April 12th. Learn more about asset protection and trust planning, as well as Medicaid, VA benefits, and everything related to long-term care assistance. WGALaw.com is where you want to head. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill Last segment, we were talking about our need for having our our documents in order and making sure that we have a plan. And if that's something that we haven't done before, how how do we know what we need? Well, you know, uh, Jason, it's quite uh, frequent that people will come in for their initial consultation with me. And one of the first things they'll ask is, um, do we need... Uh, trust agreement, or can we get by with just the last will and testament? I mean, which is better for us? Which should we have? Uh, And uh, I'm delighted when folks ask the question. Another way uh, folks ask is, I've been reading about trusts, and I think, uh, based on what I've read, I I should have a trust, or we should have a trust, uh, but not completely sure about that? What do you think? (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's, uh, those are important questions. Not everybody needs a trust. Now, you know, I loved trust-based planning, uh, but, uh, and the, but the reason I do is that trust-based planning gives us an opportunity to, um, have a more sophisticated plan for ourselves and our family. But not all trusts do that. You know, uh, for instance, there are a lot of folks, well, I want asset protection. Can I do a trust for that purpose? And frankly, uh, in North Carolina, the answer for most people is no, you can't do it for yourself. Uh, you can do it for your spouse, uh, and you and you can or should do it for your children. But uh, in North Carolina, uh, we, uh, in this state, we cannot create a trust uh, for ourselves. That's, well, I mean, we can create one for ourselves, but we can't create one with asset protection for ourselves. Um, and so now they say, well, what about a revocable trust? I've, you know, I've, I've read about revocable trusts and how wonderful they are. But the fact is, revocable trusts, and that's what most people use and should use for their estate planning. Uh, that is, though, when I say most, I'm talking about most people who should have a trust to begin with. Um, but revocable trusts don't give the grantor, the person creating the trust, asset protection because one of the nice things about a revocable trust is you can change it at any time. You can take property and put it in your trust or take it out of your trust at any time. 
uh, and you can change your mind a hundred times if you want. Um, uh, and so the bottom line is you have complete control. They're truthfully with a revocable trust. There are no strings attached uh, other than a fiduciary duty to carry out what the trust actually says you're supposed to do. But with a revocable trust, it's even more flexible than that. So flexible that the Internal Revenue Service ignores them. In other words, you don't have a tax ID number for a revocable trust. You use your Social Security number as your tax ID number because the IRS only wants their taxes. They don't want to know about a revocable trust. They could care less. Uh, for them, it's a pass-through entity that has uh, no bearing until it becomes irrevocable. Well, when does that happen? You have to die for your revocable trust to become irrevocable, or at least that's the way it works most of the time. And uh, so that um, now, there. What I'm getting at is this: is is that there are factors that I look at with a family to. Uh, to help them decide whether a will-based plan, in other words, not having a trust, is actually in their best interest or whether they should pay a little more money uh, to have a trust-based plan uh, created. So what are those factors that I look at? Because, you know, what I look at may be a little bit different than what somebody else looks at. But the, the first thing that I look at is, and it, it's not necessarily about, you know, what's your net worth, what ass you know. It's about what are you trying to do? What uh, are there family issues involved that make you want to set something up because there's some issues that you would like to, to see done a certain way because we're talking about your money here, uh, your property, um, and quite frankly, uh, it's okay, how do we take care of our spouse? And then uh, for most people, it's how do we take care of our children? But, you know, frankly, sometimes, I mean, for some folks, it's uh, we've been married for 45 years. Uh, we have three children, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, you know, that's the, the Ozzie and Harriet family that's uh, really nice, uh, but it's becoming more unusual. You know, it's, uh, it, it, frankly, it, it's not uncommon to have a second marriage. We have children by previous marriages. We have a child who is, um, has uh, special needs, or we have a child who... Uh, has estranged themselves from us, or we have a child who's a spendthrift, or we have a, a child whose spouse is a spendthrift, um, or we have children uh, and we're unsure about their marriages. Uh, we like their spouse, but, you know, sometimes we think there's some problems brewing there. You know, those kinds, of, as parents, we always worry about our children's marriage and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, that's a factor because if there's a complication uh, with the family, then typically a trust is going to be a better way to handle that. Uh, now, another one is uh, real estate. In other words, okay, you live here in North Carolina, 
Uh, Oh, you own a home. Okay. Uh, And do you own property outside the state of North Carolina? Oh, yes, we have a beach condo at Myrtle Beach. Uh, Or, you know, uh, we still have some, uh, you know, a lake house on Lake Michigan, or we, we have a rental house that we inherited in New York, or whatever it is. But the fact is, if you have real estate outside the state of North Carolina, then automatically a trust is likely to be better for you. Why? Because if you don't have a trust and have not put that out-of-state property in your trust, then guess what? You've got two probates, court administrations, to deal with. In some states, the court administration is very expensive. Uh, North Carolina is not terribly expensive compared to many other states. We're fairly modestly priced in terms of a court administration. But some states are outrageously expensive. uh, And if you don't have a trust agreement, then you have just required Uh, a a court administration of that property, which can be, uh, I mean, and I'll give you an example. I I had a little uh, home, uh, second home uh, down in South Carolina. It wasn't even at the beach. It was, you know, 30 miles inland uh, on property that wasn't particularly valuable. The the whole piece of, uh, the whole house and its property was worth, uh, less than a hundred thousand dollars, a good bit less, quite frankly, and but it cost the family about five thousand dollars to simply have that home transferred to the next generation. Now, to me, that's outrageous, and a trust would have been much less expensive and avoided that time and trouble. Which, so real estate can be a situation. Another one, obviously, can be, do you have a substantial estate that you're trying to leave to help your spouse and, you know, to leave to your children? That's a big deal. Part of that question is, okay, out of your substantial estate, how much of it is in retirement accounts? In other words, traditional retirement accounts, because for some people, you know, 60-70% of their net worth is in a traditional retirement account as opposed to investments that are non-retirement accounts uh, or real estate or other kinds of of, uh, property. Well, at this point, now, can you leave a retirement account to a well-done trust, one that, that accommodates retirement accounts? Yes. But there are lots of trusts out there that don't do that, and you don't want to leave retirement accounts to a trust that doesn't have language for how the, how the trustee would treat that account. So for a lot of folks, if, you're, if most of your wealth is in retirement accounts, sometimes a trust agreement is unnecessary. But again, it depends on, is this a second marriage? Uh, are the children capable of managing the property? Because if not, the, a trust actually can be beneficial. Um, and then, of course, um, other factors have to do with what are your goals? What are you trying to do with your planning? Because some folks, I don't care what happens. I'm going to be gone. 
And other folks really do care how it will affect their family, how it will uh, affect their children when they're gone in terms of their relationship with others. Uh, and then uh, there are so people, which I try to talk people out of, where they're relying on one child or one person, sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's a child, where they, they're relying on that person to do the right thing, if you will. Oh, my daughter will split this with her two siblings, even though she's going to receive it. And is that going to happen? Well, and maybe, maybe not, because you're gone at that point. You can't come back and say, oh, you told me you were going to do this. <laughs> and, and the fact is, I... I would prefer people to have a plan where they're not relying on family members to do the right thing. In other words, their plan will work exactly the way they want it. Some people do a trust sim simply to because typically it will be faster, easier, and less expensive at death to have a trust. But there are a lot of circumstances that go in to where that might happen and might not. So it's um, there are a lot of little factors that end, but bottom line is when I review everything with a family, I typically will say, you know, this is one where you really don't need a trust or I, I think your, yours is one where you should have a trust. But if I tell somebody they, they should have a trust and they say, well, I don't want one anyway, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we'll create a will-based plan. But it's the kind of thing where I think folks should know their options and be able to make the best decision for themselves and their family. You know, in the legal world, it, it always seems to boil down to the answer, it depends, when, <laughs> when you ask the question. No question of whether or not you need a will or a trust. And if that question has been brewing on your mind, hopefully this segment here has shed some light onto your situation and given you some things to think about. And after you have processed that, schedule some time to speak with Bill. Go to WGALaw.com. It's very easy to schedule an appointment there. You can find information as well about Bill's free webinars. If you want to attend Bill's Asset Protection and Trust Planning Webinar. It's free to do so. You're going to learn a whole lot more on these subjects that we've been discussing. It's free to do so. There's no cost associated with it. It's just a wonderful way for you to learn more from Bill about some subjects where, again, we often have so many questions and to be able to have a setting where you can learn from Bill and even ask some questions as well. And you'll also be eligible for a free consultation with Bill if you attend one of Bill's free webinars. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page. From there, you can register. It's free to do so. You can also find information about Bill's webinar dedicated to long-term care assistance. This deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, and financial assistance for the astronomical costs of long-term care. Learn more at WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're 
listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. If you want to register for Bill's free webinars, you can go to WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button right there at the top of the page. From there, you can register. It's free to do so. Find more about Bill's webinars dealing with asset protection and trust planning, as well as long-term care assistance. Just go to WGALaw.com to learn more. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we've been talking a lot about planning, and we just went over um, what you look for when someone comes in and they're interested in either a trust or a will for their planning and trying to figure out what fits best for them. But, you know, Bill, you also encounter situations where someone may have a trust in place and they, they want you to look at it and maybe they haven't seen an elder law attorney before, but it's it's time now for them to have their documents reviewed by one. What do you look for in those scenarios? Well, that's, that's a great question, uh, Jason, and it's very common. I mean, a lot of folks uh, do come in uh, for me to review a, a trust agreement that was drawn years ago, sometimes not many years ago, because uh, some folks listen to me and they realize, I don't think what Bill has said is, is uh, you know, captured in the agreement that I have right now. Let's, let's have it reviewed, even if the trust is only a few years old. But it's not unusual at all for, for folks to move to North Carolina and they say, oh, we did a, a trust 25 years ago in New York or, or uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, whenever. So or wherever, and so they've moved here uh, more often than not because their grandchildren live here. I mean, it, Raleigh is a wonderful place. This whole region is a wonderful uh, area to live in. Uh, but when folks move here from out of state, it's either because they've been here, they like it, and they're retiring here. But more often than not, it's because their grandchildren live here, and it's like we want to be, cl- or Mama wants to be close to the grandchildren. So it's like okay, <laughs> but. You know, the fact is, is that I do a lot of reviews of trusts. And um, so, you know, the question, uh, what do I look for when I'm reviewing it? Well, first of all, uh, trusts that are fairly old, you have to understand that 20, 25 years ago, the reason people did trusts were very different because, uh, frankly, 25 years ago, the majority of middle-class folks needed a plan to avoid a state tax. Um, you know, 25 years ago, the exemption for a state tax was only $675,000, and a few years before that, it was only $600,000. And so, uh, you know, it didn't take that much in terms of owning a house and retirement accounts and and other properties where you would exceed that amount. So people, and, and I was doing trust planning back then, and, and the bottom line is everybody needed what we called AB trust planning to avoid a state tax. Now, obviously, 25 years ago, $675,000 was a lot of money, uh, but uh, what's happened since then, the exemption for the payment of a state tax has gone from a modest amount up to an extraordinarily uh, high amount where m- most people don't have to worry about a state tax anymore. 
the exemption today is $12,920,000. And if you're married, that's times two before your children have to worry about paying any kind of estate tax to the federal government. And, and of course, we don't have to worry about inheritance tax in North Carolina anymore. And of course, that was an issue way back then, too, but it's not anymore. So now the exemption's coming down in 2026. So my very wealthy clients are using these high exemptions to create irrevocable trusts uh, to avoid tax to their kids. But the exemption's coming down in 2026 to a little over $6 million. But again, when you multiply that times two, you know, for a married couple, and you can leave, you know, 12 to $13 million to your children without estate tax, again, most of us get out uh, with a free coupon, <laughs> you know, so we don't have to worry about it. But back years ago, we all had to worry about it. If we, you know, had a modest estate, estate tax would rear its ugly head. So frankly, a lot of of the older trusts have the AB trust plans in it. When it. What that means is that an irrevocable trust is created at the first death. And for some folks, that's a good thing. And for others, it's totally unnecessary. So quite frankly, people need to know what the laws are today and what are their goals in terms of uh, of uh, going uh, from here. And so another issue that particularly for trusts that were created long ago is that they th that the, a couple never funded their trust. In other words, there's no property in the trust. And that, quite frankly, um, for even a really simple trust agreement can be a horrible situation because, uh, it results in uh, the worst of situations. It, it results in everything needing a court administration. And then once you get through with that, with the expenses and time and all that good stuff, you have to have a trust administration following that. So instead of saving time and money, it actually is more complicated and more expensive and more time-consuming. Well, what's worse than that? Well, nothing. So it's the kind of thing where... When you have a, a plan, you have to implement it properly so that your plan works the way you anticipate, what, so it works the way you want it to work. And if it fails that test, then it's not a good trust. <laughs> so, um, all right, so that's part of it. Um, and, of course, as I've mentioned, also beneficiary designations, how do they fit in with your trust agreement and what you're actually trying to do? And then what are your goals? And, um, you know, there are lots and lots of trust agreements that are created for the sole purpose of avoiding court administration and the cost of court administration. Now, there are times when a trust like that <clears throat> is exactly what somebody wants and should have, particularly if they have a modest estate, but they need a trust because, hey, they have a, a condo at Myrtle Beach, you know, out of state. So it would save them time and money to have a fairly simple trust. But 
frankly, uh, as uh, depending on circumstances, uh, many of the trusts that I do for my clients um, are much go much beyond a simple trust because when when families realize that they have options with a trust agreement that doesn't add a lot of complexity, but adds uh, a, a great deal of protection for their family. They actually like the, the modifications that I would make to a trust because uh, typically uh, I, uh, a lot of families like having protections for their spouse and particularly protections for their children and grandchildren. And a simple trust is not going to do that. So um, I, I know we need to take a break, but when we come back, I, I do want to at least mention some of the differences between what I generally would recommend in a trust agreement and what I don't see in most other trusts. That will be very helpful. Don't forget, if you want to schedule some time to speak with Bill, go to WGA Law. Dot com. From there, it's easy to book an appointment. You can find information about Bill's webinars as well. Learn more about long-term care assistance or asset protection and trust planning from the comfort of your own home. These webinars are designed to be very easy and accessible for you. All you need is a device with an internet connection as well as an email address, and you're good to go. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button, at the top of the page wgalaw.com click on the seminars button at the top of the page to register for bills free webinars happening on wednesday april 12th a quick break and back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we'll be right back This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about Bill at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were just talking about trusts and your uh, experience reviewing trusts. And, you know, things are, are a little bit different through your eyes as an elder law attorney. So how do the trusts that you review sort of stack up to the trust that you would recommend? Well, when I create a trust for my clients or I'm redoing a trust for a client, um, I, I tend to prefer a joint trust, particularly for couples who have been married for many years because most people who've been married for a long time um, – own most of their property together as a couple. And so a joint trust is an, a really easy transition for those uh, couples because once you have your trust done, it doesn't feel any different than what you've had for 50 years or however many years it is. Um, now, folks who are in a, uh, a second marriage, uh, sometimes a joint trust works perfectly fine. Uh, sometimes separate trusts are a better way to go. But with trust-based planning, 
it really it, it can be either way and work just fine. Um, one of the things I do, and I think it's really important, particularly if you're going to have uh, some asset protection involved in your trust uh, at your death. In other words, making sure that your intentions are followed. So one of the things I do that I rarely see in other trusts is actually stating out in the front of your trust your intentions in creating the trust. What are you really trying to do? And so I have a, a section in my trust on you know, my intentions or our intentions in creating uh, this trust agreement. Because if there's ever a question about that trust later on, going back to the intention should carry the day. Uh, the other thing I do that I rarely see in most trusts that I review, although there are others who do this as well, and that's to have a disability plan in your trust. And the disability plan is for you and your spouse. And you're saying, well, why do I need that? Well, it's not because your your spouse doesn't know how to take care of you, you or vice versa. It's because typically at some point in your life, someone else, typically your children, will be actually managing your money and spending it on you. Well, with the trust agreement, since they're spending your money on you or not spending it on you, as you would expect, I want to give those folks fiduciary obligations to carry out your instructions in terms of spending your money. Because there are an awful lot of folks who can afford never to see the inside of a nursing home. They could stay at home with round-the-clock care. Now, is that more expensive? Yes. And if you can't control your money, would your children, who are going to inherit what's left over, would they prefer that they just put you away in a nursing home uh, well, I mean, not that that would happen in most families, but it's the kind of thing where I'd rather have a plan where I can say, what are the things that are important to me that I'm provided in my old age uh, if I don't control my money anymore and somebody else is spending it on me? Well, with a disability plan, you can do that. Um, uh, now, what do you do for your spouse? Well, that may depend a lot on how, you know, is is this a 50-year marriage? Is this um, a, a fairly recent marriage? Is You know, do we have children by that we're trying to protect? Well, a lot of my clients actually like to have remarriage restrictions. They want to protect their spouse, and they'll leave a trust for their spouse, but it'll be irrevocable, and typically a, a child may be involved as trustee as well. But the fact is, is that they want to protect the inheritance for the children, so they'll have remarriage restrictions so that if, if the, the surviving spouse remarries, that uh, the resources that are intended to eventually go to the children will actually go to the children. Um, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where it requires a prenuptial agreement that's rock solid uh, for the spouse to receive uh, assets and the things. And then, of course, it's really important to have a good estate tax plan involved, and there are options there. Generation skipping exemption plans for 
high wealth uh, families are extremely important. Uh, asset protection for the spouse, asset protection for the children. Those are things that most of my clients really want to incorporate in a good trust plan. Uh, and then, of course, we always want to have provisions for flexibility, uh, which is really important, particularly once a trust is irrevocable, and provisions for things you hope don't happen, like a special needs grandchild or a disabled child or uh, an, an addicted child or grandchildren or great-grandchildren that are too young. Those kind of things are really important to have uh, in a trust as well. If you feel that your trust may be lacking in some of those areas, get a hold of Bill. Go to WGALaw.com, schedule an appointment to speak with him. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com. Learn more about Bill. Schedule an appointment to see him if you would like to have some documents set up or have your documents reviewed. You can also register for Bill's free webinars happening Wednesday, April 12th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance or asset protection and trust planning, go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page or call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. That will do it for us today. We hope you will join us again next weekend. This has been Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.